I've been thinking a lot recently about an incident that took place when I was a little boy. My mom saved up enough money for my sister and I to get on a church bus trip to the new Disney World that had just opened up. I remember being so excited about it because not only were we going to go to Disney World, we would be staying in a hotel and the hotel would have a swimming pool. My sister and I had never been in a real swimming pool. As we pulled into the hotel, my sister started squealing. As soon as the bus stopped, she grabbed me and we went streaking over to this pool. I grabbed her hand and we jumped high in the air and we landed in that pool and it was as glorious as I had imagined it would be. It was just unbelievable. And we were having such fun. And then I realized that chaos had broken out around us. White parents were frantically running into the water, snatching their children violently out of the pool. I was looking at my sister. I was looking, trying to figure out what is going on. Finally, there was one little boy left in the pool. And this big guy came, he snatched him by the arm and lifted him out of the water. And the little boy started crying hysterically. I turned to that white man and I said, what's wrong? And he gave me this look and he said, you're wrong, nigger. We got out of the pool and I ran to my mom. And when I told her what the man said, she looked at me and she said, you get back in that pool. She said, don't you let those people run you from that pool. What I remember most vividly from that trip is getting back in the pool and standing in the corner of the pool, holding my sister's hand and desperately trying not to cry. This week on Crossing the Lane Lines. Everyone is welcome and purposefully. Um, this is uh, something, it's a collaboration with African-American artists, um, a, a, a collaboration with um, uh, icons um, in, um, in swimming um, and scholars and researchers. And so we are trying to very purposefully um, bring people into this pool who may not have ever stepped foot in it in, 19, in the 1920s. Which Access to water for fun isn't a privilege, and learning how to swim is a basic life skill. Both were denied to black Americans through centuries of slavery and discrimination. That legacy is the focus of a daring new exhibit, Pool, a social history of segregation, which opens September 3rd at the Fairmount Waterworks Interpretive Center and runs through August 22nd in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Today, we'll speak to the curator of the exhibit, artist and former competitive swimmer, Victoria Prizia, about this amazing presentation on black achievements, struggles, and hopes for the future in aquatics. Stay tuned. In San Francisco, this is Najee Ali, and you're listening to Crossing the Lane Lines. From the beginning, this podcast has focused on Blacks in aquatics, our triumphs as well as our struggles. For nearly 500 years, Blacks ruled the seas, being considered the greatest swimmers, divers, and canoeists in the world. But as the 20th century rolled around and municipal pools sprang up all over the U.S., 
access to swimming was either severely limited or banned if you were of African descent. This legacy is the focus of a truly remarkable exhibit entitled Pool, a social history of segregation that will premiere on September 3rd in Philadelphia at the Fairmount Waterworks Interpretive Center and runs through August 2022. Today, we are joined by the exhibit's curator, Victoria Prizia, an artist and former competitive swimmer based in Philadelphia. Victoria Prizia, welcome to Crossing the Lane Lines. Thanks so much for having me. Victoria, I always start off an interview with this question first because it sets up the discussion that follows. When did you first learn to swim and when or did you notice that certain people had access to the water while others didn't? Well, um, I could swim long before I could walk or talk or even had hair. Um, I learned to swim at six months old and uh, I went to a water baby class, um, and which was funny because I'm one of three kids and I'm the middle and I was the only one that my mother took. Um, and I just loved the water um, my entire life and started competitively swimming at age seven and was a lifeguard and water safety instructor and um, in college um, worked with um, kids who had traumatic experiences in the water to get them back into the water. Um, so swimming is really good. I was a late walker and I was bald for a while, but um, but swimming, yeah, I could do. So, but in, you know, in terms of your second question, um, uh, when did I notice that people didn't have access? To be honest, I, I didn't notice that until really six years ago, um, five years ago, when I read Contested Waters. It, I grew up in a small rural town um, in uh, New York State. Um, I had a class of uh, 120, my graduating high school, and it was primarily um, a white uh, working class town. And um, and so that, it, 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 that dynamic, I, I was really not aware of it, and that's one of the reasons I think um, why uh, Dr. Jeff Wiltz's book, um, Contested Waters, made such an impact on me. To highlight the inequities of aquatic access, you feature the works of animators, painters, and videographers. Can you describe for our audience how these artists' works highlights the discrimination that Blacks face trying to gain access to the water? Well, each piece, you know, kind of um, communicates with the other, you know, so it, it's almost like this cumulative um, feeling. And so the digital animations, um, they vary. So one is um, a, a, a digital animation called um, Moving Portraits. And Moving Portraits literally um, uses graphic novel art. Um, as illustrations that then have become animated, um, and that's narrated by playwright and director James I. James, um, a esteemed African American playwright here in Philadelphia, and that directly addresses specific events from the 1880s to present day um, and um, ongoing um, uh, in, in terms of um, you know events that um, are specifically um, pointing to times when. Uh, African Americans, people of color, were um, excluded from public swimming pools. We also, through that, have a thread of um, black swimming achievements. So, um, characters, 
uh, that, you know, many people may not be aware of, like Charles Jackson French. Um, and so in that case, it's, it's kind of literal, um, you know, where we really are taking these historical events and we're animating them and, and you know, uh, putting them through this, um, this artistic lens uh, for accessibility um, and and also because we're 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 activating a historic space, so we're really using historic facades, um, you know, as our canvas. So uh, all the pieces, even though they they, you know, are disconnected um, from one another spatially, um, that they all do build. So in other ways, um, we have uh, uh, you know the work of Dr. Kevin Dawson. Um, featured and, uh, they, and and he's really looking at as you know and, and your listeners has, have heard um, you know swimming in the African in the African diaspora and so what we have there is he's given us five images um, uh, from his collection and then a mural artist painted these two beautiful water bodies a male and a female and the um, the water body the black water bodies become they define the space. So if you could imagine, it's a, a a line of historic images, and then on either end, perpendicular to that line, are these two water bodies. So you kind of step into the space, and you sit down on a bench, and Dr. Kevin Dawson's words um, basically give you this um, context for each one of these images. And we have it so that you put headphones on. So it is a very intimate experience. And really, Dr. Kevin Dawson is um, talking about um, you know, pearl divers and uh, the the incredible aquatic abilities for hundreds of years when um, people of color were known as the best, um, most accomplished swimmers in the world. And so in this space, um, you know, we're kind of juxtaposing this contemporary art with these historical images and this voice of the scholar for this immersive experience. And we're asking you to sit with um, so those are just two examples, I think. And then, you know, we have Homer Jackson who did, um, he's a wonderful multidisciplinary artist, um, and he created 15 vignettes. So he really took the um, the, the basic information that we're um, presenting in pool, and he used it as a springboard. And so he has these 15 vignettes over an hour and 10 minutes of content. Um, and in those, he has everything from poetry to interviews to animations, and he takes us on these, these wonderful adventures, and it's about baptism, um, it's about water spirits, um, it's about, uh, you know, old, you know, stories of, um, you know, the, the water plugs, which are basically the fire hydrants, as, um, you know, the main way that a lot of, uh, urban dwellers have experienced water in the streets. Um, and so in that case, he's really taking us um, out from of this, like, in, you know, context. And, um, uh, and and actually, it ends up becoming this very expansive experience. Again, you have headphones there, so you can sit there and really experience it. So those are just some examples. Municipal pools in Black neighborhoods in Philadelphia and in other major cities all over the country have all but disappeared. Compounding this problem is a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic that has claimed more than 600,000 American lives alone. Does the exhibit touch on issues of inequality in health care and city services as part of the problem that Black people don't regard swimming as an invaluable life skill? Well, we do in different ways. And, and one primary way is we actually work with 
So we do in, in, in multiple ways. And that is um, one of our artists, Lowell Boston, he um, created an animation. He's an animation artist. And he created an animation where he interviewed um, eight African-Americans about swimming. And he asked some very simple questions. It's kind of similar to a little bit of Ed Acura's style in um, Blackstone Swim, um, which we, we, also ha we also have in this exhibition. Um, Ed Acura did a 30-minute um, a short for us of the sequel, which we're incredibly excited to have here. It's specially made for a pool. Um, but in both cases, I think it really, those personal interviews kind of get to that point of um, of, of how removed, um, you know, people have become from the water. Um, and, and that, you know, we're trying to create that connection through um, a water safety quiz um, that you actually do in lockers so on the out so we have different um elements in the exhibition that just create a, a pool feel so it does feel like a pool party um and like you're at a pool club and, and this you know it's set in a former pool from the 1960s um that was actually created at a time because of the lack of swimming lessons and a need for swimming lessons due to drowning in uh, natural water bodies here in, in philadelphia and so because we're surrounded by water essentially so anyway in this lock in this set of lockers um we have have um, a water safety quiz that I worked on with uh, Connie Harvey uh, from uh, the American Red Cross and it's six questions and they're very fundamental and the out the question on the outside of the, the question is posed on the outside of the locker and then you you open the locker and you get the answer um, and it's it is very basic but I think between that between a um, Red Cross film and also between the work of diversity and aquatics um, as well as um, two of the featured voices that we have, Jim Ellis and uh, uh, Malachi Cunningham and his wife Olivia Cunningham, who were involved in the 1970s um, with the, the city swim clubs um, that really addressed this public health issue. And so I think with all of that, um, that you were making that connection indirectly and directly. In a recent interview that you gave to the Philadelphia Inquirer, you said, quote, pool is designed to be the public space in 2021 that it could never have been in 1921, close quote. What did you mean by this? Well, what I meant by that is, so the pool exhibition is free and open to the public and everyone is welcome and purposefully, um, this is uh, something, it's a collaboration with African-American artists, um, a, a, a collaboration with um, uh, icons um, in, um, in swimming um, and scholars and researchers. And so we are trying to very purposefully um, bring people into this pool who may not have ever Steps foot in it in nineteen in the nineteen twenties, which um, uh, this pool didn't even exist, but um, where there still was um, this idea of segregated swimming and who was welcome and who wasn't welcome. In this case, we're specifically reaching out um, to an audience base that uh, you know may not see cultural centers or environmental centers um, or pools. Um, at, you know, for them. So it, in this case, you know, we really are trying to have this be a 
community collaborative project um, that will, you know, ripple out and have make and have everyone be welcome, feel incredibly welcome um, when they step into the doors. Can you talk about the location of the exhibit, how the works are constructed, and the venue's historical significance to the community of Philadelphia? Well, the pool site itself um, is part of the Fairmount Waterworks Complex, which is a historic landmark um, building. It's also an engineering landmark. And it was one of the um, first water distribution centers in the country. And it really was started um, by a group of um, uh, leaders um, in the early 1800s who, who saw it as a, um, a civic duty um, to provide clean drinking water to all of the inhabitants. And that wasn't just, you know, in Center City, um, but um, throughout Philadelphia. And so this place, this, this site for me is very significant in that it is a symbol of, um, you know, this idea of water being um, a, an issue of social justice that it always has been. Um, the, you know, at that time, water was being pulled directly from the river, which is why this beautiful complex sits on the river. And, um, and so in that way, you know, what is it, oh, more than 200 years before um, the UN declared access to clean water as a human right, um, you know, Philadelphia was already thinking about this and also understanding the connection between um, uh, the health of communities and the health of our rivers and streams, which really depends on um, you know, the, the land around are those resources, those natural bodies, water bodies. So um, the Fairmont Waterworks was um, decommissioned once the river was too polluted to um, pull water from. And, um, and, and then it remained dormant for a while. It was an aquarium um, for a while. And then, uh, and then in 1961, um, after being this, one area of the complex being dormant. Um, that's when the Kelly Family Foundation decided to create a pool here. And many people who swam here, like Malachi Cunningham, said that um, you know they knew it as the aquarium pool. So for me, in many ways, I feel like this pool story is um, you know a continuum along a trajectory where um, this access to water and clean water um, you know has been a priority. And and it is is also interesting because this building is is caught in a state of arrested decay. So, you know, there's neglect. Um, so there's, a, I think, a lot to be said, and the building itself has become a character um, in this exhibition. So it has been very intentional that we're using um, projection on the historic facades um, and that we're allowing the light to come in from the windows. So it's like the, the light off the river dances on the ceilings of the of the space. Ezekwe Mohammed, who's one of our artists from New York City, is, you know, creating digital water um, in the pool lane. So, um, you know, it seems like a very appropriate place for a lot of reasons. Um, and also, um, you know, this idea of uh, the future is something that we're writing together. Um, and, you know, Philadelphia um, has been a place of a lot of firsts. Um, and so it feels appropriate that, um, you know, this conversation is coming up now here. Many in the Black community and other communities as well might think, I mean, come on, can a white woman really talk about the black experience, especially coming from a privileged background? 
How do you respond to these sorts of critiques? Um, well, it's not me um, talking about um, this history from my perspective. Um, I am, you know, from the very beginning, the pool exhibition was really meant as a platform to amplify the voices of people working in the space um, and to, um, you know, provide an opportunity um, through collaboration, creative collaboration for um, primarily artists of color to interpret this, um, you know, use this theme for their their um, their work here. So it it is a platform um, for others, and uh, you know that's something I'm I'm good at bringing projects to fruition, and um, and so whatever I can do to connect people to these stories and these voices, um, to sit at the Blue Mind Pool and hear 41 minutes of the, um, you know, excerpts of the 15 interviews of Black Swimming champions and scholars and icons, um, uh, activists, um, you know, for, for me to be able to help and bring those voices into the hearts and minds of everyone who's going to come here. Um, I mean, I feel like that's a privilege. Um, but when you're talking about the perspective of this exhibition, it's from um, the people who are working within this space and diversity and working towards diversity, building, you know, greater awareness about the importance of diversity in aquatics and making aquatic activities available for all. Final thoughts before we wrap up this interview. Um, you know, just that one other thing that I'm, I'm really, you know, very proud of is that uh, the pool exhibition um, is also going to be 98% of it online at poolphl.com, which are hopefully to la we're hopefully launching uh, on September 1st. Um, and and so no matter where you are um, or who you are, um, you can you know, engage with, like I said, 98% of the content of Pool. And also we have Pool Magazine. Um, and the Pool Magazine was a companion component of the website, which really um, allowed us to invite some of our featured voices and, and others um, to, um, you know, write in-depth articles um, about different subjects that we could only touch on within the, within the exhibition. And so I'm also very proud of that magazine that we hope um, will be distributed far and wide, including at some of the international swim meets, hopefully, um, if we can, you know, somehow get that going and, and, the, and at other places. But um, even aside from the, the paper copy, all of those articles will also be available on um, the pool website. So, you know, we do feel like the, um, the, the accessibility of uh, the pool experience, um, you know, really was a priority for us. And we are going to have to leave it there. We've been speaking to Victoria Prizia, a former competitive swimmer, artist, and curator of the exhibit Pool, a social history of segregation that will premiere on September 3rd in Philadelphia at the Fairmount Waterworks Interpretive Center. It runs through August 2022. And we'll have a link in our show notes for those of you who live in the Philadelphia area or might be traveling there within the next year. Victoria Prizia, we wish you and your family health and safety during these challenging times in our country. And thank you again for joining us today on Crossing the Lane Lines. Thank you so much, Nazi.
It's that time again. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. Okay, this show's winner truly deserves the Donnie Award. Pleasanton Seahawks coach Steve Morsilli received a public reprimand from Pacific Swimming LSC after an incident that involved him throwing a cone at an athlete mid-race. Yeah, that's right, you heard me. This man threw a cone at a swimmer's head. Oh, did I fail to mention that the coach in question is white and that the swimmer happened to be Asian American and that the entire thing was caught on video and put out on Twitter? The incident happened during a meet in Concord, California on May 21st, 2021 at an event where there were no spectators. By the way, how convenient. And according to Pacific Swimming, the incident happened when Morsili was trying to get the attention of the swimmer to prevent him from participating in the race because of concerns over eligibility to swim in the closed meet. Ultimately, it was determined that the athlete was eligible to compete. Now, Pacific Swimming says that the meet referee immediately addressed and resolved the incident and Morsili apologized to the swimmer and his parents. So let me get this straight. If you're a white coach and you throw an orange traffic cone at an Asian swimmer because you think he's ineligible to swim and then later get reprimanded and apologize for said behavior, you get a pass? Can someone tell me why this man isn't in handcuffs for assault? Does anyone have a reasonable answer for why this coach didn't wait until the boys' heat was finished and then protest to the official about his eligibility? I mean, what, what purpose does it serve to take your frustration out on a child who, even if he was deemed to be ineligible to swim, only swam when his coaches told him to do so? And why, why in the midst of the rise of hate crimes on Asian Americans has USA Swimming not weighed in on this, considering all the hell they caught last year for their pathetic two, not one, but two statements concerning the lynching of George Floyd? What? You know what? Wait, wait, wait. That's my bad. I know the answer to all these questions. Oh, and here's one more tidbit that I'd like to share with you all. Morsili released a statement to the local media that read in part, quote, Since we have had problems in some of our intra-squad meets with former swimmers entering our meets to get a chance to swim, even though they are no longer with us, I was concerned, that's very humbling of him, I was concerned that the system was once again being, ag- being abused, close quote. Coach Morsilli, the only one that was abusing anything, or anyone for that matter, was you. And to that we say... Shut the fuck up, Donnie. You've been listening to Crossing the Lane Lines, which is produced by the Black Swim Collective at our studios in San Francisco, California. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you receive your podcast. From all of us here, we thank you so much for your support. And remember, no lives matter 
until Black Lives Matter. In San Francisco, this is Najee Ali for Crossing the Lane Lines. Signing off.